Everybody out there in podcast land, you have set your dial to combat sports with Rhino. I am your host, Rhino. What do we talk about on this show? We talk about MMA. We talk about boxing. We talk about kickboxing. We talk about tie. We are always just a flap in our gums. I am once again your host, the Rhino, 10-year pro boxing vet and overall lover of nice people. That's what I like my catchphrase to be. I'm a lover of everybody who is kind and nice. So I am here to break down our Invicta fights that we had on Thursday, the main event from uh, the top-ranked boxing from the MGM Grand last Thursday as well. Obviously, we had no fights on Saturday because it was the 4th of July. And then we've got a very special show. I do not want to bury the lead, as I tend to do every week. We have got a bunch of fun content, but then a fantastic interview with my man Brad One Punch Pickett, pioneer of British MMA, UFC vet, WEC vet, Great overall guy, fucking fantastic interview. I can't wait for you guys to hear. And then also a very special interview conducted by my very own uh, feature play, Drea, who is going to be asking me some fan questions. Uh, so I'm going to be going, I believe it's 13 rounds of Rhino. I think there was 13 questions. I'm not sure, but we'll we'll get into that in a minute. So let's go ahead and uh, give Drea a call, D. Reigns, and we'll go ahead and get these Invicta fights and the uh, main event from boxing on Thursday, and then we'll jump right into the uh, rounds with Rhino and Dre's drop of the night. All right, everybody, let's go ahead and dive right in. We had two cards on Thursday of combat sports. One was the boxing, the top-ranked boxing from uh, beautiful MGM Grand Las Vegas, where I had Jose Pedrada, 26-3, going against Mikel Lepore at 22-1-1 one one in a catchweight 144 division. There's been a lot of catchweights, which is completely understandable being the uh, state of the world as it is right now. Uh, Jose completely dominated, dude. From I literally, I gave him 11 out of 12 rounds on my scorecard, including two knockdowns. So again, good on Jose Pedraza. He's a, he's a very exciting fighter. He's really fun to watch. We'll wait and see what happens to him next. Again, he dominated Mikel. I, had, I literally gave him 11 out of rounds, and I was generous on the one that I gave to Mikel. So I think this puts him right back into title contention, and we'll see what happens next for uh, for Jose. So we want to get into our Invicta fights from Thursday, Invicta 40. So we've got our we've got our card results, and we have Drea already joining us because not only is she an Invicta fan, but she had a special uh, connection with one of the fighters. So I will go ahead and start breaking down um, from the bottom to the top. We had Gina Gooden winning by unanimous decision over uh, over Shelby Corin. Then we had Gina Cicero. First of all, that was in the strawweight division. Then moving into the flyweights, we had Gina Cicero beating Laura Gal. Oh man, Galadero at flyweight beating also that one was by split decision. Then we had Alicia Zapatilla, the one that I was most impressed to watch. Being that she's from Michigan, and I followed her on Twitter for a while, and I could kind of see the progression of her skills. She won in a very close split decision with some great scrambles against Lindsay. Don't call me Paige Van Zant. And then in the main event, Emily Ducati or Ducati uh, beat Juliana Lima also by unanimous decision. So the one non-decision for the entire card of Invicta 40 was Chelsea Chandler beating Liv Parker. Andrea, why don't you go ahead and tell us about Chelsea? And what happened in that fight? Okay, well, first off, shout out to Chelsea Chandler. <laughs> uh, she had an absolutely stunning performance. So she, my connection with her is, obviously, she's from Stockton. Um, she, the gym that she trains at is also the gym that my uh, husband coaches at. Therefore, my husband is actually her 
uh, Muay Thai coach. And then her boxing um, coach is the boxing coach that works with my son. Um, so there's strong connection there, obviously. Um, and she just put on an absolute striking clinic. I mean, the whole first round was, I don't think she got hit at all. If anything, maybe, maybe once or twice, but the whole fight was a striking clinic put on live, um, which I was just absolutely thrilled for. And she, um, just kind of a proud moment, I guess. <laughs> she, uh, so she finished her. She, um, she hit her with the left that put her down to the ground. And, um, you know, she's up, she also trains jujitsu, um, uh, Gracie jujitsu. So she, obviously she had to throw that in there. She could have grounded and pounded her out, but she wanted to get that jujitsu in there as well. And, um, she finished her with the, the rear naked choke. So yeah, shout out freaking Chelsea Chandler. <laughs> yeah, definitely shout out to Chelsea Chandler. Now that leads us directly into Drea's drop of the night. Now we just you were just kind of talking about it, but how did she I know it's Chelsea Chandler, which you kind of already you know let's get out of the bag, but Drea's right. drop of the night, Chelsea Chandler, and how how did she drop her? What happened? Well, so she she caught her a couple times. Um she hit her with a liver shot, which definitely it, it threw her off a little bit, and then that opened her up to just being I mean, completely open and Chelsea timed this perfect left. You could see there's a few seconds of just, you know, timing it. And she timed it just perfect. Hit her with a straight left. It dropped her to the canvas. And as soon as she dropped her, um, she got on top of her, took her back and choked her out. It was, I mean, nothing short of spectacular. It kind of reminded me of the, um, the Diaz fight when Diaz (laughs) took, Connor's back and choked him out it was literally almost just like that so it was it was pretty awesome so my my drop of the night goes to Chelsea Chandler Stockton reminded you of Stockton go fucking figure (laughs) right well it's funny because through the entire fight that's all the commentary was like oh she's such a Stockton fighter you know she (laughs) fights and it's I mean and it's true I mean well any fighters that come from Stockton they kind of have that grit that just um kind of gangster i don't give a fuck kind of <laughs> swagger <laughs> and that's exactly how she was but it's, it's funny because the end of the fight when the camera pans to her and she's walking the ring she put her arms up like the same way nate diaz did and it was it was kind of awesome <laughs> that's that's outstanding dude the uh so you know moving on from Drea's drop of the night and moving on from the beginning of the show we actually have a very special segment we are going to do this week one time only because I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit nervous about doing this because I don't know. I know a couple of the questions, but I don't know the majority of them. So it was the Rhino's 42nd birthday the other day, and uh, <laughs> we, did, we, we didn't have fights this weekend. So uh, one of the Rhino gang, the homie Rage's Sweet Potato, had the idea of why don't we go 10 rounds of Rhino and, you know, uh, have listener questions, ask me to go to put me in the hot seat to put me under the under the spotlight to give me the interrogation the tables have turned drea and so (laughs) now i'm here and i'm sweating so let's go ahead and get started and again i haven't written down any answers or anything i'm going completely off the cuff so why don't we just go ahead and uh do this thing all right so the way you always start your interviews we are going to start the same way so I'm, smoke, uh, I'm smoking, dude. I'm literally going to smoke right now. I'm like nervous. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, Lance <laughs> came with the perfect question. So this is how we're going to start the interview. Um, how, Rhino, 
first got into practicing boxing. So we got to ask you how, what started Rhino in um, your career of boxing? How'd you get started? Oh, dude, that's a great question, Lanta. My, my dear Franta, dear Franta, dear friend Lanta, who I love dearly, fabulous writer. Uh, she, she's, she's got a great question. What I, I loved boxing even as a kid. Um, and I loved MMA when it first kind of came on my radar back in 93. Um, I really always wanted to try it. Uh, I, I just really never pulled the trigger until I had moved out of state and then moved back. And when I moved back and I think I was 27, I said, dude, the time is now I'm going to find a gym. There was one only like a half an hour away. I walked into the gym literally three weekends later, I had my first amateur fight and, uh, it was, that was the Genesis. That's how it got started. I was always a fan. I walked into a gym after I moved back to Michigan literally three weekends later i had my first amateur fight and then that led into a three-year amateur career and then over a 10-year pro career so that's that's the story of how i got started thank you very much lanta okay so then next we have uh, mr b he actually had two questions first one being similar to the same the question i just asked you so we'll go ahead and kind of skip that the second question was what is your best memory um from your fight career Oh, wow. That's a great question. And Mr. B, great friend of the show, great friend of mine. Love you, buddy. Um, I would say I'd say the highlight of my pro career was uh, was beating a guy. I'm going to keep his name off of it, but I beat a guy who uh, had a win on YouTube that had like 250,000 views. And he was a pretty good fighter. He's also uh, he's a pro boxer and MMA fighter. And he's fought some big names uh, in the pro MMA ranks. Not so many in the pro boxing ranks, but uh, I was definitely the underdog. And I had a lot of friends and family there. It was in Detroit. And uh, I got a big first round body shot KO over him. Um, so, yeah, that's probably the highlight of my pro career for sure. Okay, so next we have Phil, the MMA dude. Uh, he wanted to know. Uh, so Dustin Poirier had quite a comeback against Dan this past weekend after being nearly finished in the second. He wants to know, have you ever had a similar comeback in a boxing match? If not, have you been in the wrong end of an epic comeback? <laughs> Phil, the MMA dude from the, uh, from the Split Decision podcast and the homie. Uh, yes, dude. I've actually had both. <laughs> I've actually had both things happen. So yeah, there was a an amateur fight in, in the Golden Gloves actually that I was dominating, dude. I was, um, I clear, I whip. I mean, I really won the first round by a wide margin. Really won the second by a wide margin. I was feeling, I was feeling like I had pretty much, you know, uh, I pretty much had this thing in the bag, dude. I felt totally confident. I was one of the few guys I was taller than that I've ever fought. I felt really confident and really good. And then, like, legitimately the first punch I threw in the third, I tore my shoulder. I tore my rotator cuff. And I could not use my right. I couldn't even get it above, like, my rib cage. Like, it was stuck down there. So I was completely, like, one-armed. And so he was started whipping my ass. That's first off. And then second of all, the ref was already being like, like, protect yourself. And I'm like, I'm fucking trying. I can't get my right arm up. I didn't say anything. But I was really like, you know, kind of bending to the right. Oh, God, I, I got lit up in that one. And uh, the referee stopped it with like, I don't know, maybe halfway through. I wasn't defending with my right arm. And he could tell I was injured. And everybody else did, too. So that was definitely I was on the wrong end of that one. And I was on the right end of one in my pro career where kind of the, the opposite happened, where I was getting my ass fucking whipped for three rounds, dude. Like he beat the shit out of me. This was in Lansing. 
Um, he was a way more experienced guy. It was very early in my pro career. He had like quadruple the amount of fights that I did, but yeah, he whipped my ass for three rounds. And then in the fourth, he, I think he got tired of beating me up. And though that, that's what gave me the opportunity <laughs> to get in there. And I went in there and I, and I stopped him with, uh, I, I think it was, I think it was an overhand, right. And then, uh, a left, a left hook followed it that put him down and put him out. So yeah, that that's the other end of that spectrum. So yes, I've actually had both. Thank you very much for asking the question, Phil. Okay. So next we have Jim soon. He wrote in and he wanted to know what is the highest of highs that you've had? And what is the lowest point in your professional fighting career? And a happy birthday right now. Oh, thanks, Jim Soon. Uh, always a great friend of the show. Always bring fire questions. What's the highest of high? I, it, it would have to be that win that I previously talked about, dude. The uh, the win over the guy who had the pretty prominent MMA career and um, was a decent boxer as well. Uh, the win over him was, was probably my highlight, uh, the highest of highs. The lowest of lows is probably... Um, a fight I took out of state and it was just, it was a, it was a miserable, uh, it was a miserable experience. Um, I met a couple of really great people who really were helpful, but I didn't have a corner and I didn't have, uh, they put me, it was a brand new building. They put me in this ice cold dressing room by myself for hours. That was like on the other side of the building. I couldn't even hear what was going on. Like nothing, nothing went right. Um, I went in there and I, I definitely, was a better skilled fighter than the dude that I was fighting. And he, he clearly, he clearly beat me. I was just, wasn't in it. I wasn't in, I was out of sorts and it wasn't a good, it was probably my worst performance as a fighter. And this was later in my career. So no excuses, man. I just, I just wasn't there mentally that night. So that was, that was probably the lowest of lows. And besides that, not only did you lose and you didn't fight well, but you have a really long, I was like four States away. So you had a really long drive back. Thankfully, uh, my dad went with me. So he did the majority of the driving while I sulked and was being a big baby about it. So yeah, that was definitely the low of lows uh, on that one. Thank you for, thank you for asking Jim. <laughs> okay. So next we have Marquise. He wants to know Rhino. Where did your name come from? Who actually created the nickname Rhino? Oh, this is a great story, Marquise. And for those of you who don't know, Marquise is my buddy uh, who writes for Weak Sauce Radio. He's a great boxing mind, great analyst, and, and does a great job writing his articles uh, about boxing uh, at Weak Sauce Radio. Marquise Johns, my dear friend. Um, so this is a great story. Uh, I had an amateur fight in Ann Arbor, Michigan, at a middle school of all places, and the place was packed. Like they put it in the gym, and like there must have been a thousand people there. I mean, it was a big deal. It was only like my third or fourth. Uh, 34th amateur fight, and I was fighting this monster. I mean, the heavyweight division is can fluctuate, dude. I fought guys as low as like 208 and guys as big as this. Now, this guy was about 6'6, 400-ish pounds. And at the time, I think I was 270, and I'm about 6'1. So I'm, you know, I was used to being the, the heavier guy, and this guy just dwarfed me. And uh, so I knew I wasn't gonna be able to do my normal style of just let's go toe to toe and bang it out. Right. Like I needed, I was actually going to be the quicker, more fleet of foot guy, which that was probably the only time in my career that ever happened. So again, I would, um, I implored the technique of backing away, rushing in, throwing three or four, and then backing the fuck out. So my entire, uh, my entire strategy was, you know, get out of the way, come back in, flurry, 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 get the fuck out of there, come back in. So I was kind of charging him. Right. And I, that was my first uh, win by decision. So that I, he took all of them and we went decision. And afterwards, 
um, in the amateurs, you, uh, when you're fighting, you're fighting with some of your teammates. Cause usually, you know, you'll have your manager or your trainer bring over three or four guys or girls from the same gym, you know? So we all had a big table, uh, reserved for us at this middle school gym. And those must've been 10 or 10 or 12 of us between, uh, fighters and their families and shit all sitting there. And these three or four older, older gentlemen who, uh, I believe I heard later were old retired fighters. I think they might've been a little punchy. In addition to maybe having a few cocktails throughout the entire day, they come over there like, they're like, man, you're like a rhino in there, man. The way you back up and rush in, you're like a rhino and blah, 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 blah. And so everybody heard it was like, oh, shit, that's the name. That's the name. Because in my mind, I wanted to be called something like like the bulldozer or something, you know, something like that. But you can't in boxing, you can't come up with your own nickname. It's got to be organic. It's got to be given to you by somebody else. So once that name was given, it stuck and has been with me ever since. I've got rhino memorabilia, like, you know, I got stuffed rhinos and rhino sculptures and I got a rhino uh, pencil holder. <laughs> I mean, I've really, I've really adapted the gimmick. So I love, I love it. I love that story. So thank you very much, Marquise, for asking it. What do we got next, Rhea? Okay, so next it comes from Juice at the Fighting With Myself podcast. Never heard of him. Don't know the guy. <laughs> question is this. What was the moment or inspiration that made you want to do a podcast? Yeah, that's a great question, Juice. And obviously, I'm just kidding. He's my dear friend from the Fighting With Myself podcast. Fabulous. And keep your ears and eyes peeled. We may or may not have a little side project we're going to talk about coming down the road. So don't get too excited. So um, I've always loved radio, right? Like, I've always loved, like, I first really got into uh, sports radio when I was a kid because they would actually talk about the local sports on the local uh, radio affiliates in the Detroit area. And you got to learn all about all kinds of kids that you were in the same school system with. So that was my first thing. I really loved sports radio. And then I got later into, uh, like, I was I was a big fan of Howard Stern. And um, I was a big fan of when sports center kind of came out. So all these things kind of combined. And then, um, when I got into fighting myself, I would, you know, I would either buy the DVD or I would watch on YouTube, you know, one of the few that had play by play. And I was like, this, this really isn't giving you like the insight that I, I think that I can bring. Right. So, um, you know, we, we all have kind of strengths and weaknesses and I think I'm pretty good at articulating and painting picture. And so all these things kind of combined into, you know what, fuck it. I'm, I'm at the tail end of my pro career. I wanna. I've always wanted to try doing this, so I'm just gonna go ahead and dive right in. And I had a, I had another show with a with a buddy of mine at the time, and we both kind of, you know, decided to give it a shot. And uh, it turned out that this was something that I wanted to continue with, and he didn't. So I just kind of uh, started my own show now, 30 episodes ago, and here we are, my friend. Thank you very much, Juice. And if you guys haven't already, please check out the Fighting with Myself podcast. It is excellent, and he's a much better singer than I could ever be. <laughs> okay so this next one i'm dying to hear the answer on this so uh this comes from our wonderful friend cyrus king and his question is um you have said in the past that you don't want to get married why is that describe, oh shit cyrus man <laughs> describe the traits of a gal so awesome <laughs> That you would break your own rules and put a ring on her face. Oh, Cyrus, you asshole, dude. Way to put me <laughs> on blast. 
Okay, I I have never said that I would never get married. Okay, I don't, I don't think I've said that. I've, I feel, I think you have. I, I think I I've like said I've never. I think that's that. not true, Jay. I think I've said I've never had the desire to get married. Those are two different mm, things. Like, I don't know. I may have I, to go back to the through the episodes <laughs> and find it because I feel like I remember free, saying that. Free. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, okay, so if if I have said that, I probably meant it at the time. I'll say this: the <laughs> idea the idea has never really appealed to me. Um, but I'm not saying it's, it's a, for sure. No, like what? So the second part is what would, what would the lady need to be like? Um, I, I always look for someone who is consistent and reliable. So if you are those things, those are the two biggest things I look for, obviously, um, you know, like a, like a, like a, like a funny personality is great. A good sense of humor is, is really critical. And then somebody who, again, is like very level headed, someone who doesn't get really high and really low. Cause that's kind of how I am like a pretty even keel. Like I don't get really mad and I don't get really sad. And, you know, most of the time, you know I mean? I'm just a really even keel person. So looking for that would be a big deal. That would be a big get. For someone, and then clearly someone who likes combat sports would be the cherry on top of that. So those would be some of the things that I would look for. Again, it's not that I am saying I will never get married. I'm just saying that I have not uh, felt the desire to do that. I love my alone time at night, dude. That would be some. Oh, that would be something else. Someone because like I've had girlfriends who cohabitated with, and the the idea of having your own space at night was lost on them. So I would need somebody who is cool with, you know, uh, when it comes time for the evening, let's kind of both go our separate ways and, you know, have our own alone time. Alone time is very important to the old rhino. So that would be another factor as well. So if you are um, an even keel combat sports fan between the ages of 30 and 40, and, <laughs> <laughs> and you, think, you think the rhino is cool, go ahead and hit me up, slide in the DMs. And uh, we can talk. <laughs> thank you very much, Cyrus. Even though yes, you thank to, you, Cyrus. You know, I was, man, that one sprung on me. I was not prepared for that, but you are our, our, our dear friend, and we certainly appreciate you, my friend. So, all right, let's move on to another one quick. Okay, so <laughs> the next actual, like, the next two questions, I'm going to combine them because they're so similar uh, in nature. So these two questions um, come from Dave Fretz, and uh, Miss Twinklenug's Pokemama. Um, basically, they want to know what embarrasses Rhino. Uh, what was your most embarrassing moment as a child, as a teenager, or in college, and as an adult? Man, um, I don't remember anything as a kid being really embarrassing, or a teenager, you know, no more than anybody else. I, I do have a very embarrassing moment as an adult. Uh, I definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll go with this one. So, uh, my, my dad was a teacher for, you know, 30, 40 years and then he retired and, uh, he went into another line of work, which I'm going to keep to myself, but in that line of work, he would like to have his performances filmed sometimes. And one of these performances was in a church and he asked me to film it, you know, via uh video camera. Cause this is back. This is before cell phones had video cameras on him so i was filming it with a camcorder and he was like you know make sure you get close-ups and wide shots and so on and so forth so i'm going around there's like you know there's there's lots of people there all the pews are filled with people who are watching this his performance and uh (laughs) i i kept backing up because i wanted to get everybody into the frame and it's like dead silent during this part 
And I bang into this back table that has the biggest vase in the history of vases in the entire world's history. It was like four feet tall by like two feet wide. It was the biggest. It looked like a giant urn, dude. And I bumped in the table and I knocked it the fuck over and it made the loudest. It didn't break. Like it didn't shatter like, like, like it would be like a movie. Right. But it went. like everybody stopped turned around he stopped doing what he was doing looked back at me and if i could have like shrunk into a ant and crawled out of there at that moment i certainly would have it was incredibly embarrassing i felt like a dummy and man and a clumsy big butted oaf that didn't realize his surroundings and i knocked over the giant base thank god it didn't break and shatter everywhere because I found out later the thing was a $3,000 vase. So, yeah, that would have been none too fun to try to pay off. So, yes, that was a very embarrassing moment. And thank you very much, Rayanne and Dave, for asking me an embarrassing moment that could be heard by potentially a whole lot of people. Thanks. Thanks, friends. <laughs> I'm sure watching that video back was probably hilarious. Oh, that, like... got, that, got, that got edited out real quick. Believe you me, that did not make it to But I like you guys watching it back and then hearing the big thing was probably just <laughs> oh, I, didn't, I didn't watch it. I couldn't even face my dad for like a week. Oh, I didn't watch no. it. I'm sure he did, but yeah, it's it got edited. The final product got edited, thankfully. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> okay, so next we have uh, Scott Nolan. Uh, he wants to know um, if <clears throat> if Rhino could get his birthday night out with any fighter in any era, dead or alive, any combat sport, who would it be and what would you do with them? Oh, man. Uh, well... That would be a tough one. It would be it would be close. It would be between Chuck Liddell and Cowboy Cerrone. Um, I think Cowboy Cerrone would try to get us to do too much extreme shit. So I, <laughs> I'm going to stick with Chuck Liddell. And what I would like to do, honestly, with Chuck would be like, uh, you know, spend uh, spend an evening out with him, like 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 go to a nice dinner, like a nice steakhouse, and then uh, get like the VIP treatment to UFC. Like that would be, I've been to a lot of MMA. I've seen a lot of live MMA, but I've never seen uh, a UFC live. So I would love to like go out on the town with Chuck and a few other friends, Dre included, of course. And we get like a big, you know, cool limo or something. And we go have a really nice dinner. And then the, the limo takes us to the venue for the UFC. We get right in. Chuck leads us right up to the, to the very front. We get to watch all the fights, prelims included, then go backstage later and in the dressing rooms and meet the fighters. And yeah, that would be probably like a dream, uh, a dream birthday evening for the old Rhino. So thank you very much for asking. That was Scott, my dear friend. And uh, what do we got next? D-R-E-A. Okay. So Mr. Regent Sweet Potato wants to know uh, whether it's happened to you or something that you've just witnessed, what is the absolute craziest thing that you have ever seen in person during your boxing career? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. And this is all Rage and Sweet Potatoes idea, by the way. So shout out to you, buddy. Um, you know, it's funny, as, like, as far as in the ring stuff, I mean, I haven't seen anything too crazy as far as like, you know, anything that was out of the ordinary. I do remember a night where um this one dude obviously i'm not going to name him but we we there was a lot of us who were crammed into one dressing room so it was like you know maybe six or seven fighters with their corner men you know people are warming up and shit and uh we were packed in there and it was hot and dude this guy like 
they were they were they were hitting pads and there was a chair that somebody else was sitting on that person got up for a minute maybe to go get a bottle of water from the cooler or something and the dude who was warming up bumped the chair because we were packed in there pretty tight that happens sometimes you know this wasn't the highest glamour level of pro fighting you know and uh he got so mad that he picked we were in a dressing room right this is also a concert venue we were in a dressing room with like those big fucking mirrors with the light bulbs around them um, he grabbed the chair and he bashed the fucking mirror. <laughs> he was like, get this fucking chair out of here. And he banged the, you know, the chair against the, the mirror and the mirror shattered and exploded. And everyone was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, this wasn't, we weren't in a fucking McDonald's when this happened. You're in a room with other fucking fighters who are also, you know, big and in shape and not taking kindly to that kind of behavior. So three or four of us all got like, what the fuck is wrong with you, dude? You know, like we're all worried about stepping on shards of glass, you know, obviously. So we, we all kind of stood up and like walked over like, you better get out of here. And so he, he was able to um, finish the rest of his warming up and dressing in a uh, hallway bathroom. Cause he was such an asshole. So yeah, man, that was one of the craziest things I ever saw. That was a, that's a dressing room tale. <laughs> the career of the rhino and uh yeah that was crazy okay so as you would say in your interviews we are careening to the end we have our final question that comes i do say from- that i do say you that. do i do say <laughs> uh, <laughs> we have our final question from ashley the mma perv um at ashley the mma nerd if you were to create an mma twitter faction what would be in it Excuse me. Who would be in it? What would it be called? And would you be heels or faces? Oh, actually, thank you so much for this question. And, you know, uh, to those of you who do not like or hate pro wrestling, go ahead and hit fast forward right now because this is a <laughs> pro wrestling question. And there's a few of us who are humongous MMA fans who also like uh, pro wrestling. And so I actually, this is one of the few questions that Drea gave me a heads up on because this would be too hard to be sprung on and just answer off the cuff. So uh, so I thought about it. And so my man, Mr. B, and my man, Unsolicited Fight Picks, also uh, wrestling fans on MMA Twitter, we are going to be called Safari, okay? And we are picking wild animal personas. So Mr. B can pick whoever he wants to be, what kind of animal, and then so could uh, Unsolicited. And we would, uh, of course, would be Rhino. And we would be this this safari of wild, uh, total heels. And we would come in and run rough shot all over whatever promotion we were in. And Ashley would have to pick some sort of queen persona because you would be in charge of it. You would be kind of like uh, the one who who gave us our directives as to what to do, who pointed us in the direction of destruction. So we would be called safari. We would all be wild animals. Uh, Mr. B and Unsolicited would be my my cohorts in this. We would all pick wild beast names, you know. <laughs> we would be bad guys, also known as heels for sure. And Ashley would be our manager slash head of business. So that is my answer. That is a great question, Ashley. Thank you so much for asking me, my dear friend. All right. So that's it. We have got our 10 round of Rhino. Well, that was something I feel like I can calm down a little bit now. Thank you very much <laughs> to all my dear friends who participated. Raise a sweet potato for your idea. Andrea, for doing all the legwork of asking the uh, asking the Rhino gang to reach out for that second. So we are now back to business as normal after having a Saturday with no fights. So we've got a big one next week. 
Let's go ahead and get our main card picks for next week's UFC 251. I'll go ahead and get it started in the uh, flyweight division with Amanda Ribas versus Paige Van Zant, also known as the Instagram nudie nudist. The uh, <laughs> I actually don't don't co-sign with all the hate that Paige actually gets. I think. She's actually a pretty nice person, and, and she's a pretty decent fighter. But I definitely am going to go with Amanda Ribas by unanimous decision over Paige Van Zandt, sending her to Bellator to join her husband. I agree. I, I'm going Amanda Ribas as well. Um, same thing, Ribas by unanimous decision. <laughs> All right. Moving our way to the strawweight division, we got Thug Rose, Thug Rose, Thug Rose. Nami Yunus <laughs> going against Jessica Andrade. Uh, this was this is going to be a rematch from their title fight. Um, I again, I think Rose was winning that fight before the big head slam that, that Andrade put on her head. So I have no other reason than to think that Rose is going to be able to do uh, what she did before, which is piece piece Jessica up on her feet and avoid getting slammed on her head, knocking her out. So I've got Rose Nami Yunus by a very close split decision over Jessica Andrade. Okay, I have. Um Thug Rose as well. Ultimately my favorite female MMA fighter of all time. Um, And yes. And I think uh, Rose is going to take it. Like you said, she was winning the first, their first fight. Um, Had she just let go (laughs) when she had her (laughs) air last time. Um, I don't think she'll make that mistake again. If she gets put in that position, um, but I think she's actually going to win by a TKO in the third. So we got TKO three for Drea. I get that right there. Okay. Moving into the Bantamweight division um, for the title, we got Petra Jan versus Jose Aldo. Uh, this one is, is hard for me to say, but I really like Jose Aldo. I always have. I, I know that he probably feels invigorated moving down to 135, but Petra Jan is a different animal. Um, he has looked so good in his career. People talk about it. He hasn't fought anybody yet and so on and so forth. Well, be that as it may, you're entitled to your opinion. But I think Petra Jan is our next Bantamweight champion. And I think uh, Petra Jan gets it done by a second round TKO over Jose Aldo. What do you got? Oh, my gosh. We are just on the same page today. So I exactly the same. I am going Petra Jan by TKO in the second. I. Um, like you said, I think Petrion is just on a different level, and he's he's gonna finish him. I think in the in the second. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I think so too. Okay, moving our way to the featherweight title, we got the rematch between Alexander Volkanovsky versus Max Bless Holloway. The choo choo Bless Express is back in the cage. I think it's gonna be the same result as last time. I've got Alexander Volkanovsky defending his title against Max Holloway by unanimous decision. Uh, and I think it'll be close again, but I got Alex winning uh, unanimous decision over Max. But I'd love to see Max win. Don't get me wrong. But I think it's going to, this is head over heart. I got Alex. Right. I agree. I was actually at their last fight. That was my first UFC um, event that I had ever attended uh, in Vegas. And that fight, it was amazing to watch uh, Max Holloway's you know, his walkout was amazing. It just kind of gets you in the feels. And I love Max Holloway um, as a fighter, but I I think that it's going to go the same way um, this time. I think Alexander uh, Volkanovsky is going to take it again uh, by unanimous decision. 
All right. So the CSWR crew is in agreement on this one as well. Okay. Now here, as I like to say about our 10th round, this is the wild card. We don't know if this is happening yet or not, but so unfortunately uh, the, the welterweight title is not for sure on the line anymore. Kamaru Usman, who was, who was slated to fight Gilbert Burns, uh, Gilbert tested positive for the COVID. So obviously he was pulled for safety reasons. We we've had word in the last, I don't know, 12 hours or so that we could have a, a hero saving the main event in Jorge, the BMF, Mas Vidal, game bread. Could be stepping into this, could be stepping in to take, take the fight. So if this does happen, and again, we don't know if this is true or not, but the rumor in any window is there. So if Kamaru Usman faces a late replacement Jorge Masvidal for the welterweight title, I have Kamaru Usman winning by fourth round TKO. I think he will wear Inbred down with the uh, with the wrestling and with the cage work and with the clinching. I, I think he'll wear him down and then be able to finish him in the fourth. That's just how I see that going. Jorge coming in on a very short notice. Tough as nails, as we all know, but I would have Kamara Usman winning by fourth round TKO should that fight happen. Okay, should this fight happen? I'm not a very big Usman fan. I actually like Masvidal a lot more than I like Usman, but being on such short notice, him going in there a week's notice, um, I don't see it happening for Masvidal, um, so I'm going to go Usman as well, and I think he's going to get um, a KO. I think Usman's going to KO him in the third. So we got Usman KO in the third for Drea. All right. So those are our picks for uh, this coming Saturday's UFC 251. And, you know, to be honest, I hope the Kamaru-Jorge fight does happen, but even if it doesn't, this is a stacked card uh, from top to bottom, even if that one doesn't. And there's still two titles on the line. It's an awesome card. So I'm really, really looking forward to it. So, Trey, we're actually going to have you stay on the line here um, because you have all the people who asked questions. So mm -hmm. we're, we're going to go ahead and we're going to sign off and do our shout out. So I definitely want to say uh, thank you to everybody who uh, wrote in and all of their tags. So if I forget anybody, you're going to fill in. Okay. So okay. I know there was my girl, Lance Brown. I know Mr. B. I know Cyrus King. I know uh, Pixie. <coughs> or, no, no, no. Pokey and Dave Fretz. Um, Ashley, the MMA perv. Juicy with myself podcast. Phil, the MMA dude from the Split Decision podcast. Who am I missing? Uh, Scott Nolan. I don't Scott Nolan. Who I, I think it looks like a smaller Triple H, my man. Uh, Rage of Sweet Potato, right? Yes, Rage and Sweet Potato, and I think that was it. Did you mention Jimison? I did not. I did not. That's why okay. I kept you on the line. So, of course. Forget somebody. Yes, it's always 420. Mr. Mr. Jimison, our dear friend. So to all you guys, thank you so much for participating. Rage and Sweet Potato, thank you for this idea. That was a really fun, that was a really fun segment that we're only going to do the very one time only. Uh, all right, well, Drea, Drea, thank you so much, and we will definitely talk to you uh next week so i will sign off with a happy birthday rhino and i hope this episode um made you feel a little bit special oh <laughs> thanks ray it certainly did and we will definitely talk to you next week all right bye and now ladies and gentlemen without further ado british mma pioneer one of the most exciting fighters you ever could watch the man who brought the love back to the trilby hat my man brad one punch picket goes 10 rounds with rhino 
Ladies and gentlemen, we have such a treat for you today. In my presence, on the phone with me, is the man, the myth, the legend, the man to stop Mighty Mouse, Brad One Punch Picket. Thank you so much for joining me today, sir. No problem at all. Thanks for having me on, Todd. Oh, it's wonderful, dude. I'm wonderful to have you. Uh, Brad, as most of my listeners know, with all of my 10 rounds with Rhino, I love to start the first round with is kind of the origin story. Like, how did how did Brad Wunsch Punch Pickett get into the world of MMA? Um, basically, I boxed a little bit when I was younger, between the age of uh, like 19, uh, 18, 19 to 21 sort of thing, just to keep fit. My, my, my main sport growing up was football. Um, so, uh just to keep fit, I thought I'd take up boxing because boxing is good fitness. Uh, and then guys are like, I've kind of enjoyed it. And uh, and the guy said to me, do, do, I, do I want to have any, do I want to have a fight or anything? And I was like, yeah, no problem. I, I'll give that a go. And then that was that. And I boxed for maybe two years, amateur boxing. But then, then I had a really bad um, a, a, a ACL injury on my knee. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that, that, that was that. And then, um, yeah, it kind of hindered me a little bit. But uh, so I had to quit football. Uh, and then I tried to get back into boxing when I was probably around like, 25. Found it a little bit same, same. Uh, and the coaches obviously didn't give me much attention because I was a 25-year-old man and not a young up-and-comer sort of thing. Uh, and then I was... Gonna get back, gonna gonna get back into into boxing. I was, I was gonna have a fight, and then I hurt my knee again. Oh uh, man! And then, and then someone said to me, "I want you to take up uh, mixed martial arts." So I, I did that a go, and, and that was it. I went to one one uh, uh, lesson, uh, and uh, that was it. I um, was hooked. The uh, yeah, the hooks were in at that point. It sounds like now when you first got started in MMA, I would say for the most most of us, even us who are pretty dedicated hardcore fans of uh, all MMA from the very kind of inception in the in the early 90s to a grand stage, English MMA was a little bit behind uh, the Brazil and the United States and Japan early on. All we really pretty much knew was the Wolf Slayer, right, like back in the early mid-2000s. But English MMA has exploded in popularity since you started. Can you kind of tell us when when you saw things start to change in the UK as far as more gyms popping up? or the sport becoming more uh, talked about by guys. Can you kind of tell me about when that was or when you started to see that happen? It, it was going, I mean, yeah, to be honest, it's just, there was a boom. I, I, I think the boom was from when, like, before I was even in the, the, the UFC, when I was fighting in the WEC, uh, and people like Dan Hardy and some of that, Michael Bisping were doing really well, that, they were like the front runners of flying the flag over here, if that makes sense. Um, and uh, then, then since then, it just carries on growing and growing and growing and growing, out, and it's just been been amazing. And obviously, we were ma- massively behind in early days because, for me, even to this day, I say the, the the most key thing of MMA is wrestling. If you can dictate the wrestling, you you, you can control where the fight takes place. So you, if you have the wrestling advantage is a massive thing so obviously coming from england there's no wrestling here whatsoever so right. i went over to 
the top team. I met uh, Mike Brown. We've become great mates and you know, like been best mates ever since sort of thing. And I learned how to wrestle, but it was a lot different because obviously wrestling for wrestling is completely different from wrestling for MMA. So I learned how to wrestle for MMA like from a punching sort of stance and mixes up my punches to takedowns very well um, from, from the get-go. I didn't have like any, I, you know, obviously in wrestling, you uh, wrestle with your strong leg first, but when you fight, you, you lead with your, your weaker leg uh, at the front, you know? So it, I had no weird transformations. I, I was basically learned from the, from ground zero. Right. Which if you're going to learn wrestling or grappling for MMA, Mike Brown is as good as you're going to find in the entire world, that's for sure. Uh, Brad, the the Trilby hat has become, I'm going to use the word icon in the world of MMA. What Can you tell us the origin story of the Trilby hat? How did that become a part of a part of you and a part of your, of your daily uh, post-ring, putting it on post-fight? How did the Trilby hat come to be? When, when I started getting into fighting, my mum said to me, uh, oh, you got that from your granddad. I'm like, oh, really? Because, like, from my mum's side, my, uh, there was a bit of fighting. And I, I said, oh, I didn't really know my granddad. He died when I was four, so I didn't really get to know him too much. But when my mum told me this, I, 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 I said, I'll show me some photos of him and all that sort of stuff. And when I was looking back at him, uh, he used to wear um, trilby braces, which, you know, well, you, I, mean, I mean, sorry, like, he used to wear... We call them braces of it. I think in America you call them suspenders. Oh, okay. Uh, and he used to wear a, a trilby hat. Uh, and what he used to do, he used to work during the day as a roofer. But at night time, he used to do bare knuckle boxing just to earn some extra money. So um, what what I did, I was like, oh, I, I'm going to pray, uh, play, uh, pray, bleh, pay tribute to my my my, my, my granddad. Uh, and yeah. wear a trilby hat and come out uh, come out to my fights in braces uh, and a trilby hat. And sometimes you see me, I used to what, have a newspaper when I come out. Uh, and that was like, <laughs> that is just like to say, I come from a working class background. And in England, when you go to work, most people pick up the newspaper and go to work. And that's me. I was picking up a newspaper and reading the newspaper as I walked out to the, to the octagon because that was just a job for me. Dude, that story could not have been better than any one that I could have come up with myself. That is fucking awesome. I love it. Uh, Brad, you've got some amazing wins throughout your career. To name a few, Francisco Rivera, Neil Siri, Mike Easton, Eve Yabuim. But obviously, I'd have to think your win over Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson has got to stand out. That was at WEC 48. Um, what what does that fight mean to you? Do you look back on it and be like, man, that's that's one of the best ones of my career. Or was it just another fight for you? Particularly how uh, dominant Demetrius was pretty much from that point on. Um, does that fight stand out as like a special moment for your career? No, no. I mean, it sounds weird. Obviously that should be really massive bragging rights, but for me, everyone else talks about it way more than me. Like, like yourself, everyone talks about it because if after I beat him and he done nothing, no one would even talk to talk to talk to me about it, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, but when I beat him, yeah, there was a lot of hype about him being Matt Hume's prodigy and all that sort of stuff. There was hype, but he was 12 and 0 or 13 and 0 going into the WEC, and I, and I me, I was a veteran of the sport at that sort of time, and I felt great. I was in great shape, but I'm like. Who's this kid? He ain't coming in and beating me. What are you on about? Uh, and and <laughs> you go watch the fight. I kind of manhandled him, you know, like I was a man and he was a young boy, I guess. Uh, he had developed 
massively from that and he learned a lot you learn way more from your losses than you do your wins so i like to in a strange way i think like i helped him uh, with, with his career by showing some flaws in his game at that stage where um where obviously he, he, he amended those little he made adjustments amended those holes and he's gone on done amazing things uh, but yeah I wish I'd beat him later on in my career uh, I would have got a lot more accolades for it than I do as much now if that makes sense Oh yeah, it makes perfect sense, dude. And you're absolutely right. We uh we definitely learn more from our losses. And you know what? I, if I was you, I would do the exact same thing. I would take at least some credit for uh, possibly showing some deficiencies where he needed to shore up. So that's that's absolutely accurate. I think. Um, now you, Brad, switching gears, you've been in the corner of several uh, fighters in, in your UFC. What what made you want to get into cornering people and uh, being on the outside of the cage as opposed to in? Well, all the way through my career, I've cornered many people. Like uh, me and Mike Brown, we like I say we're, we're we're best mates and best training partners for our careers. I cornered him like when he when he was fighting Uriah Faber out that in the WC and even going on to the UFC, and he cornered me for my fights, that sort of fights. Um, coaching for me came very natural. So like I come over to American Top Team and I get all this wealth of knowledge. From people like Mike Brown and other coaches there, and then what I do, I come back uh, over here, and I was back to England. And I knew how important what it was to help people here bring up their level, so they could help me train here. You know, I wasn't one of those people where I'm going to keep all my secrets to myself. I want people to get better because then if they get better, they make me become better. And I have to adapt and get better all the time. So I used to bring like all my knowledge and show my training partners back here um, stuff. Uh, and um, yeah, I, I wanted to make my team grow here. And so I, in a weird way, I was coaching early on, even throughout my career. I was coaching other people, helping them get better, go away, or go back out to America, concentrate on my fight camp, learning new stuff, then come back home and showing people and helping them out. And most of the guys I trained with, I cornered everyone, you know, like uh, I'd say I was like, uh, at that time I was at a place called Team Titan. And I, in, a, in, a, in a way, I guess I was like the team captain where I cornered most of the guys with my coach then, a guy called Mickey Pappas who run that gym. Uh, yeah, so I was doing that. So coaching has always been a big part of my um, sort of style. I always knew that I'd go into coaching. Um, and uh, like now, I, I'm not a team trainer no more. I have my own my own gym, which is great British top team. Uh, and like I say, I, now that's all I do is coach and pass on my knowledge to the younger generation. That's fantastic, dude. Uh, Brad, you're one of the very few, like a very select few fighters who has fought in four different weight classes during your career. Uh, yeah. Can you kind of, can you kind of explain like, I, I, I guess the, the obvious answer is you were moving up and down just so you could get fights. I mean, that's, that's what a lot of boxers, you know, I was a professional boxer for 10 years. I saw a lot of guys jumping around just so they could get fights. Um, but can you kind of tell us which division you absolutely felt your best at? Not the one you necessarily fought the most at, but where did you feel physically you were at your best with division? Well, so kind of make it kind of simple. When I first started, there wasn't that many weight classes out. Um, so basically, um, like in the UFC, the biggest, the smallest weight class was 155 pounds. Right. So that was that. I, I didn't even walk around that sort of big. So it's like 
didn't, didn't make any any sense. So, but in England at the time, uh, they had 66 kilos. So that's why I started. I started my, my, my most of my fights, even to this day, was has been at featherweight. But then obviously, then then going to travel out to America, and uh, and being alongside Mike Brown. I remember going there the first time. I, first time there, and I met Mike Brown. I was like, "Oh, cool, we're same with you. Oh, how you been? Blah blah blah. What weight do you fight?" And he goes, uh, "Featherweight." And I'm like, "What? What? What do you mean?" And he goes, "Yeah, featherweight." <laughs> I mean, what? I was like, "What weight is featherweight over here then?" And he goes, "60." Uh, he goes, "145 pounds." And I'm like, "What's that in kilos?" He goes, "66 kilos." And I'm like, no, 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 no. I fight 60. Would you? And like. I was, could not believe that he fought in the same weight class as me, the size he was. And that's right. the thing, is weight cutting wasn't a thing back in England. So um, that's another thing on part of sport. Me going over to America taught me, he learned me how, uh, taught me how to cut weight. So me fighting back in the, in the UK, I was the best in Europe, ranked number one in Europe at 66 kilos. So there's no need for me to go down to six fifty uh, to uh to uh, um, 135 pounds when I was the best at 145 pounds. He's like, why would I want to cut an extra 10 pounds and say, yeah, look, I'm the best at that weight class as well? Made no sense. So uh, I stayed at that weight class until I got called to the WEC and straight away uh, I didn't do any test cuts. I'm like, I could make 135 pounds and I did it with ease uh, and that's why I stayed. And most of my fights were 135 pounds. Um, then I moved down to one, one, uh, one twenty-five, and right. the reason was that is because I had quite what well, I like to think quite a few title eliminator fights at one hundred thirty-five pounds, and I kept on falling over the final hurdle. I got beat by Henan Barrow, he went out a title shot. I got beat by Eddie Wyland, he had a title shot. I got beat by Michael McDonald, he had a, so people are just falling over the final hurdle when I got on the title shot. So uh, I'm like, okay, cool, fine. I'm going to move down a weight class because I have, and at that time, there was a 125-pound division which Demetrius Johnson was the, the champion. I was like, I have a win over him. If I go down a weight class and I get a couple of wins, I'll get a title shot and then I get a chance to be number one in the world because that was my sole purpose within competition. I was always competition-driven. I'd always wanted to be number one in the world. I wasn't really money-oriented. I, I just thought if I become successful... Money just comes hand in hand. I don't think about the money. I focus on, on the way to get there, if that makes sense. So I uh, was certainly competition-driven. I wanted to be number one. So I moved down a weight class. Uh, I had my first fight against Neil Siri. Uh, uh, and the weight wasn't too bad. But I just found the styles of that weight class did not suit me. I was a bit older and slower then. Uh, I, didn't I was tough as nails. So, yeah, but... I was just like, it's still to this day, I say, they give me the, this mentality. If you put me and anyone in that weight class in a room and gave one of us a key, I would leave that room. But right. over 15 minutes in a big cage, I could not catch these guys and then just find the way of winning. Hit and run, hit, run, hit, run, hit, run. And don't get me wrong, I get that. That's that's the sort of style that is, but it wasn't didn't suit me. I was like, oh my God, come on, let's just go, let's throw down. Uh, and it, and I'll just get outpointed and and not have a scratch on me and leave and think oh this is pointless. So uh, when I lost a split decision against a guy called Chico Kumis, but still to this day I thought I won that fight because I lost that fight. 
it kind of shut the door for a title shot at that weight class. So I was like, there's no point me staying down there. I go back up to Bantamweight and, and I finish my career off at Bantamweight. Yeah, definitely, dude. So, so Brad, there's a, there's a promotion called BKB, which is a bare-knuckle promotion in England that maybe my listeners are aware of, maybe they're not. You signed with them last year uh, and you had your first fight with them and you won. Do you have anything in the works that you could tell us about? Like what's in store for your in-ring career? Is it going to be with BKB? Could it be somewhere else? Could there be a return to MMA? What's kind of the next chapter with One Punch Pickett's career? Um, for, for me, obviously, when, when I, I retired at what I call the pinnacle of the sport uh, uh, in the UFC. For me now to go back into MMA, I, I wouldn't do it because I like, like going back to what I said before. I was always competition driven. I wasn't in the sport just to make up the numbers. So like um, when I feel like I couldn't really can compete with the top ten in the world, I'm, I'm done. Let me get me out of here. And I, I'm, uh, I'm finished, you know. Uh, so I retired from um, MMA for those reasons. So for me now to go back, and don't get me wrong, I still do a bit of sparring here and there with people who fight in the UFC. And don't get me wrong, I do well. It's not a case that I can't. I, I'll be honest. If I got myself in shape, I believe I can still fight within the UFC and win 100%. But can, do I believe I can compete with the top 10? No, probably not. I'm being realistic. So I'm not in there just to get a paycheck and make up the numbers that's not my style so i'm happily just go no i'll move on and then with this uh, uh bare knuckle thing i got offered that off of this fight and i was like i like to think i'm a lot more smarter than i actually look and i, and I thought, thought about it at the time the time i got offered it it was like there's a lot of stories behind it one i thought it'd be really cool because when i got into fighting there was a lot of talks about my, my, my granddaddy used to bare knuckle fire so it'd be quite cool to finish my fighting legacy on a bare knuckle fight. So that was one motivation. And two, how I see, I just literally retired from the UFC, which is the pinnacle of the sport, like I was just saying. Right. Uh, I do not lose all my skills overnight. I know that I was a good fighter while I was there. So my vision was this. If I'm out, coming out of the UFC, the people who give me trouble in a fight would be people fighting in the UFC or fighting fighting with gloves on in the WBO, WBA, WBC, those sort of level fighters. Those sort of level fighters are not doing bare knuckle boxing. They're actually fighting for the UFC or 1FC or Bellator or fighting in uh, ABAs, uh, uh, or I mean, sorry, like WBOs, you know, they're fighting that level of boxing. Right. not doing bare knuckle boxing. So I just thought to myself, well, I can have a bare knuckle boxing match. I'm not going to fight no absolutely no killer. I think stylistically my boxing was very good for bare knuckle boxing um, because MMA gloves is very similar to a bare fist. You don't have a whole glove to protect you. Um, so you have to rely a lot more on head movement. I just looked at put all these little pieces together and I thought, you know what, I'd give it a go. And... To be weirdly enough, I had one fight and I didn't even get punched. I knocked the guy out with two two punches. Um, first one was overhand right. He dropped him. Then he got back up and uh, after the count. And then I threw like a left hook, a lunging left hook. And he kind of looks like he doesn't hit him, but he kind of just glances his nose. And he just like busted his nose up completely because I've just like clipped the end of his nose. And you'll think of a bare knuckle clipping the end of someone's nose. 
he just destroyed his nose. I gave him a worse nose than myself. So, um, yeah, so that's it. And now I've done that. It's like part of me one day, I'm like, yeah, I might want to yeah, go do it again. And the next day I'm like, all right, my body aches. And so it's like, <laughs> yeah. So like one day I'll, I feel like doing it. The next day I don't. So for me, yet again, it has to, I have to be motivated. And I'm not really money-oriented, motivated. Um, there was talks, I mean, like, I would have thought I would like to fight someone like Artem Lobov. I think that'd be a good fight. You know, it makes sense, and that's a fun fight. I'm not in. I went into bare boxing. I wasn't like going to try and prove I was the next best thing and look at me. This is it and reignite a career. I just want to be involved in maybe a couple of fun fights and that's it. And I, I, I thought me and Artem Lobov would be quite a good dust up. Uh, that never really materialized. So I'm like, hey, cool, no worries. I just get over and coaching. That uh, that transitioned perfectly into our last question. The tenth round with the Rhino, Brad, which as my listeners know, is always the wild card round. Anything can happen. Right. <laughs> uh, so the entire history of boxing and MMA. I've I've been a passionate fan my whole life. Then when I became a fighter myself, even more so. You yourself, you know, a 39 fight veteran uh, of MMA and a bare knuckle fight. So there have been thousands upon thousands of fighters. If you had to pick just one to go a five, two-minute bare-knuckle fight with, dead or alive, doesn't matter. Anybody in history you'd love to put your skills up against in a five-round, two-minute bare-knuckle fight, which fighter Which fighter would you pick? It would never, ever, ever last five rounds. <laughs> I love but it. But I would love to fight Mike Tyson. He would kill me, but he is my boxing idol, you know. Uh yeah, obviously weight class is completely different, but I love Mike <laughs> right. Tyson. I, I, I love his sort of style of how he punches. I, I, I definitely try to incorporate that with my boxing, wrestling style for MMA. That, that's an amazing answer. He he was one of my idols too. Uh, coming up, I, because I'm from Michigan, uh, James Lights Out Tony was always my boxing idol. And uh, so that's, you know, if I was asked the same question, it'd be the same answer as you. He'd beat the fuck out of me and I wouldn't make it through the entire fight, most likely. But he would be who I'd want to go with because he was absolutely my my boxing idol. And I loved Mike Tyson and I couldn't agree with you more on that one. So, Brad, we have we have careened our way to the end of 10 rounds with Rhino. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you joining us today. I know my fans are going to go nuts for it. You are you are one of the guys who I've watched for so long, who I was always such a huge fan of. Win, lose, or draw, you brought it every time, and you were exactly the kind of fighter that I would like my son to grow up to be, like, way better than me, more more passionate. That's a great story about the, the Trilby hat. I loved it. So, again, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you uh, progress in your coaching career uh, throughout throughout the next few years, sir. I much appreciate Thank you for having me on. I've had a blast. This is Brad One Punch Pickett, and I just done 10 rounds with Rhino. Dude, what a great interview. Thank you so much, Brad, for joining me this week, dude. That was an amazing time. Really, really cool insight from one of my favorite fighters ever. So thank you so much once again, sir. So that's going to lead us into the end of our show, our outro, if you will. So I want to say thank you to everybody once again in the Rhino gang for participating in today's special segment. Uh, that was really cool. I think that'll be something that I'll listen back on for years to come. Uh, obviously to my man D Reigns, the greatest engineer in the history of broadcasting to my dear friend, Drea. Thank you so much for all of your 
uh, features today and for participating as much as you did. You are awesome, and you are my very, very dear friend. To everybody else in the Rhino Gang, thank you guys so much for listening. Everybody out there, please stay safe. Please share love with your friends and your family. That's what it is all be about. We're all going to get through this together. And once again, we will see you next week. Gates out!